Hello, everybody. This is Sam Blum. We're back with another episode of Calling All Halos podcast here about the Los Angeles Angels uh, in Anaheim. Uh, I'm joined alongside my co-host here, Connor Grossman. Connor, hello. Did you refer to them as the Los Angeles Angels? Was there extra emphasis on uh, Los? I didn't. I, you know, and I started saying, hey, hello, everybody. And I didn't realize that I was doing it until somebody pointed it out. So, um and maybe Los maybe it's it's fair today. I mean, <laughs> they lost. Hey, today they are the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, they, sure. they objectively lost today. Um, in a in a you know, I mean, listen, uh, it's it's a weird series. They won last night twenty five to one, uh, and then they lost on Friday and Sunday. So they outscored the Rockies. The Rockies were eighteen games below five hundred. Uh, they outscored them by twenty runs this weekend and lost two out of three. And the Angels were, you know, they outscored all their opposition in total this week by sixteen runs and are uh, lost four of five games since our last podcast last Sunday. And listen, I mean, we talk about it every time we get on on you know behind the mic here. It's a, uh, you know, sorry, I keep saying you know, people keep pointing that out to me. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna cut that part. <laughs> all uh <laughs> interesting note interesting note about that series against the rockies from sarah langs the rockies are the second team all time to win a series of any length with a run differential of negative 20 or worse they join the very famous i'm kidding louis louisville colonels colonel no, yikes wow. yeah no you're right it is. It's kernels. Okay. We should probably just cut this whole part then. Um, I'm going to leave it all of it in. All of us, all of our discussions about cutting parts of it, people need to know how this is made. <laughs> the Louisville kernels. Kernels in June of 97. That would be 1897 against the Chicago Colts. Now, here I thought the Colts were in, were in the NFL, but I guess back in the 1800s. We're talking, yeah, we're talking, this is, and and I know I made this reference last week. We don't talk tungsten anymore, but that's pre-tungsten. <laughs> when you're pre, when you're pre-tungsten, it's never good news. Yeah, it's yeah. never good news. I mean, it, listen, it was a, like last week was, a, was I, we got on here last week and it was, a, it was a really good week for the Angels and really just a good couple weeks. They'd gotten themselves right back into the playoff mix. Uh, they had. You know, and for many intents and purposes, I think put themselves in position to really go for it, and that's what we've seen. I mean, we're going to talk about that later on in this podcast. Some of the trades that the Angels made over the last few days to, you know, uh, address the uh, depth issues that they've suffered over the last couple of weeks. You know, losing Gio Urshela, losing Anthony Rendon, losing Zach Neto. Now, I mean, I think all of those guys are out for an indefinite amounts of time, and, and Gio Urshela is out for the season. So um, it's a really difficult period for the Angels, who I think are trying to figure out exactly how competitive they actually are. Um, and uh, jet, I mean, cause you look at like a weekend like this, it's like you, you have the ability to go ahead and, and score 25 runs in a game. That does not mean you're going to do that often. It does not mean that you're going to win every game. We've obviously seen that, but I think what it showed you is, okay, this offense can produce this offense has people, this personnel in there to, to dominate in a baseball game it has the pitching has the bullpen. I think, you know, every time we come on here, we we kind of are able to say there are reasons to be optimistic, but then they give you out reasons to be very pessimistic, whether that's, you know, bad base running, bad defense, bad decision making and all around. And and uh, they uh, they kind of blew one today. I mean, I don't you know don't necessarily have the lead at any point, but you blew the series against the team you absolutely need to beat. If you want to win 
anywhere at any point this year. If you want to go to the playoffs, if you want to have a winning record, I mean, you need to beat the Rockies, home or road, whatever the case may be. 100%. As someone who watches a lot of NL West baseball, completely agree. The Rockies are a team you need to beat when you're in the NL West, especially, but even when you're not. And isn't it just one of those cruel little just nuances of being a baseball fan where you watch the Angels score 25 runs and then today through the first five, six innings, they don't have any. And you're just you're thinking it when you're watching the Angels put up a 20 spot. Just can you spot us five for the next day? Can you spread spread the love across a week to do all of that in one day? And I know it's Coors Field where, you know, the balls are. The balls are like, you know, moon balls. Um, it just, it's tough. When you're a fan, just like fan to fan out there listening, I get it. It's tough. It is. It's, tough. it's baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I just don't know what to make of this team. I mean, like I we talked about this last week. Every time we come on here, it feels like we're having the opposite conversation from the week before. You know, last week it was, it was the, um, all those wins week before that or two weeks before that it was they just lost three to four to the Astros before that they swept the Red Sox it's like I don't know they have uh what about 28 games I think something like that before the trade deadline um it's uh they're they're right in position I mean I think you know depending on how this Astro we're recording now as the Astros play the Dodgers so uh, depending on the you know results of the Astros game they're probably going to be a game half a game a game and a half out something like that from the wild cards, so you're right there. I mean, there's no reason why they can't be in playoff position, firmly in playoff position. They'll be, I believe, six games out after today uh, from the division. So there's not like any reason why the season should feel like it's over. Not by any means the case. It's just a matter of when you watch the team, how do you assess their actual viability and how do you assess their ability to win? Um, I don't necessarily look at this team and feel like they should really you know feel incredibly comfortable i don't think they're going to go out and you know run away with a division or run away with a wild card spot but they're 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 in position to be competitive did perry manazian talk to you guys recently just on tuesday he you know he talked right before he went out to the uh to the combine the draft combine um you know it's just uh i think the interesting thing he said, and I, you know, I wrote a column about this, the, the big thing he said, and I think it's not only indicative of Shohei Otani, it's indicative of just how they maybe view this entire season and what they'll view, how they'll view the deadline. They basically said, he basically said, it's self-explanatory. We're not going to be trading Otani. He didn't say those, those last words, but he said it was self-explanatory, right. in, indicating that he would not be trading Otani pretty much under any circumstances. Now, the self-explanatory part was referring to them being competitive and in the playoff standings at that moment. But at the same time, there was still plenty of games left at that point. And, you know, now they've lost four or five and their schedule is about to get a little bit tougher after they face the White Sox at home. So I don't necessarily know. Right. We all know about the losing streak that happened last year that completely derailed the season. And I'm sure I am actually just more curious as someone who listens to a lot of press conferences and people who are careful about their quotes. If Perry was specifically trying to dance around those words, we will not trade Shohei Otani. Cause you know, every, you know, image on Twitter from ESPN and every other sports outlet is going to have Perry's face next to those words, cemented into stone, not trading Otani. And then, you know, if they go through a horrible spell of games, then they might have to go back on their word. Yeah, I mean, you're right that that is probably him saying him avoiding those exact words is probably definitely the thought that he didn't want to have. Yeah, he didn't want to have a thousand articles and, 
you know, tweets and this and that. But what, what he said was the same thing in effect. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I'm not in the position to let him off the hook of being like, well, he didn't actually say because he did say it, right? He did right. say it. Right. <clears throat> I think you're right to the point to the extent that he is hedging if something awful were to really happen over this period, which, you know, <laughs> in the week since he said it, a lot of awful things have happened. Um, <laughs> uh it's like I, I just i think that they're not going to be sellers i don't which i don't i don't i don't I'm not saying they should be sellers i'm saying i don't agree with making that decision right now um well i feel like the yeah. trades for mustakis and escobar would indicate at least they're, already buyers. they're not sellers yeah they're, they're already buyers right i mean right and i think that's a preemptive decision to basically make sure they're not in a position where they need to be sellers theoretically they could trade these guys away in a few weeks if they wanted to right uh, so they're not like it's not out of the realm of possibility. I I, I actually thought the trades made sense. Um, with if Rochelle is out, and listen, I don't know how long Rendon's going to be out. I don't really know what his deal is. I mean, it's it sucks he got hit in the hand or the wrist, but like it just feels like every time we're doing this, this is like the third time this year we've done this where it's like, well, is he is he progressed to hitting? Is he progressed to doing this? Or is it, he just you know it's just constantly like a drama of where he is. We don't know, and he's not saying, and the Angels don't really communicate it, and I don't even know if the Angels really know. And so it's like I think they're just saying, you know what? If he plays, great. If he doesn't, we have Escobar. We've got that covered. That's that's that. I think that's 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 the way I read the situation. You got Mustakas too. I think who can play a little third, and you know they've got Fletcher who could play third. They've got a couple guys. I mean, who could kind of fill in Red Hefo, um, who I know really <laughs> is not having a good season. I mean, there's 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 options there. So that's what I kind of view the situation as. They're just not relying on Rendon, and they don't know when they're going to get Neto back, or at least they haven't said that they know when they're going to get Neto back, but. You know, an oblique injury can be can be a little while. So um, that's what that's I just they, they they basically went and preemptively said, we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we need to be sellers, where we're right. going to, have, you know, a really, you know, bad team. And this is no disrespect to Kevin Padlow, Michael Stefanik, you know, Andrew Velazquez. But uh, running two of two or three of those guys out there every day is probably that's very similar to what they were doing last year when they were going through that infamous, you know, losing streak and, and lo- subsequent losing stretch in the weeks and months after. Yeah. So, yeah, if I'm an Angels fan, I'm encouraged that, you know, the Angels are jumping the gun and jumping to the front of the line on uh, trades when, you know, it seems that so many teams do not. I mean, it's just kind of the thought that deadlines spur action. So that is why there's always a frenzy of deals up to the last minute of the trade deadline. And from the outside looking in, I've always wondered, like, it doesn't feel like it needs to be that way. It feels like if you have a need and there's a player out there who can fill the need, why wait? Because, you know, that's the other shoe that seems to drop with all of these players that are out there on the market as a rental is that by the time the trade deadline comes, there's only, you know, 50 some odd games left in the season. How much are you really willing to give up for one third of the season that you'll get from a player? Um, so if I'm an Angels fan, I'm encouraged that they were willing to make the moves now, improve the team as soon as possible, and see how Escobar and Mustakis uh plug into the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised they didn't use Mustakis today. Um they, they, they if you weren't if you didn't watch the game, um they were uh down by one run in the ninth inning with the tying run at second base, the lead run, I believe, at first. Um and they uh, they used Luis Renjifo instead of going to Mustakas. So in a situation that I don't want to make, thought it would have made sense to use him, especially kind of in a cool emotional moment playing in a, against his team that he just got traded for the night before, traded from the night before. And so uh, I was a little surprised by that one. Um, but 
at the end of the day, I mean, I, you know, I think he'll probably play a pretty big role, especially, you know, with him sending Jared Walsh down. And we can talk about that a little too. I was, I thought it was the right move. I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard. And I made the move. They made that decision with David Fletcher earlier this season. You know, I give Perry credit for being aggressive, but for saying, you know what, like, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, um, you know, who you are, or what your name is. We need we need people to help us win. And, and Jared Walsh, I think it's tough. I wouldn't look at this as a punitive decision, a, a demotion. He's just not right. You know, he's coming back from these thoracic outlet sur- syndrome surgery, coming back from these neurological symptoms that he got treatment for, you know, as recently as like a month ago. Uh, he's not hitting the ball hard, not really hitting the ball much at all. And you just have to see, you have to let him get right somewhere else. I mean, he, he can't populate a spot on the major league roster right now. And he has options. So you have the ability I mean, even if he didn't have options, I think they should try and figure out a, a way to, you know, get this right. Because he needs to yeah. get right. The Angels need him to get right. That was that was the right decision to make. Uh, it's a hard decision, but it was the right one. Yeah, and I give the Angels credit in that it seems to be following a pattern of just aggressive roster decisions, whether it's call-ups or guys getting sent down. I honestly commend them for just making moves and not sitting on their hands and seeing if things pan out and maybe – there are fans banging down the door saying they should have done this with Walsh, you know, weeks or days earlier, but honestly credit them making the decision on a player that they probably didn't envision having to make that kind of decision on. Yeah. I, I, and I agree with you that I give the angel, there are things I get, I look at this two different ways. I give the angels credit for making those tough decisions. And then I also somewhat criticize the angels for having what I kind of look at as tunnel vision for 2023, which is, I think that the, I don't necessarily know if they're really thinking at all about anything beyond 2023. And I just, I don't know if you necessarily always need to be like always planning for the future and every move and every decision you make, obviously that's not, um, that's not, you know, the prerogative for, for what this time of year necessarily calls for. But I, I am concerned that I think that every kind of move that's been made over the last like eight or nine months has been, has been solely at for the purpose of being competitive this season and, yeah. and I get why that's the case. And I get the uniqueness of Otani said his contract and everything that kind of goes along with it. But man, this is a, this is a franchise that needs to be able to operate at a high level beyond this season. Um, and I, I think they're in, there's some, they've got some good young players to make that happen, but you're training away some organizational depth, which, you know, it's sometimes you have to do that to win. You're uh, you know, I think that a lot of their, their uh, good signings obviously are some short-term deals. You know, I just don't know. There's no way for me to look at, what they're doing right now. And even if they were to be successful and say that's going to carry over beyond the season. So it's interesting to me. I think they've got a little bit of tunnel vision. You're seeing that in some of the moves they're making. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's tough. There's some good, there's some bad. I think that um, there's two different ways to look at it at any given moment. So it's not a full on criticism, but it, it is something I think people should be thinking about. Well, I also feel like it's something we have discussed at such length, especially on this podcast about how 2023 is operating from such a position of desperation and needing to wring every single drop out of this season, every single win, ounce of competitiveness to get to the playoffs, approach the playoffs, have a playoff mindset the entire season. I can't feel like I can stand here in good faith and give them criticism for maybe not thinking beyond this year. Cause this is effectively as close as the angels are going to get to like a last dance, if you will, which is, I think is like kind of hilarious to even compare it to something um, like yeah. what Michael Jordan and the bulls went through, but this is essentially their last dance. And I don't really think there's, you know, anything beyond like egregious moves. Like I am willing to give them a pass on having a little bit of tunnel vision on this season to just yeah. get as much I, as they I can do. out of it. I do too. I just think that it's, it's, 
it's dangerous. I think it can be dangerous. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is a high-wire act. Every single roster move has consequences, as we've talked about. And, you know, the pressure of this season only cranks the dial even further on that. What do you think it's like for Perry to, like, sit in his booth and, like, watch these games? I mean, just knowing this, like, knowing that he's, like, everything he's doing is out of this, is out of that desperation, I think, and out of that necessity to be competitive. And then he's just like, man, like, uh, we can't get a runoff Austin Gomber. I mean, come, it's got to be just, <laughs> it's got to kill him. I mean, I, you know, and I think he's, he, he jokes about that. He's like, I don't have these gray, gray hairs, you know. He's like, right. sometimes I'll, I'll like, we'll leave the press box. And, you know, their box is right below us. Well, I'll walk down the stairs to the press conference room and, you know, mm-hmm. he'll walk out. He's like, be like, God damn, man. Like, <laughs> not, maybe not those exact words, but just so you can tell, like, it's wiped him out. The vibe. And the vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, I, I, I think uh, we all, uh, everyone who's around this every day understands from, you know, all from different perspectives. I mean, I have it from a different perspective than he does. I think Phil Nevin has a different perspective than I do and than Perry does. I think Artie has a different perspective than everybody. I think the fans have different perspectives, the players do. It's But it's we all get the same idea of what this all means, right? We all understand what's at stake here. Um, and so I think that's, you know, I sympathize with, with, that, with that anxiety that they're all dealing with because it's, you know, you feel like everything's on the line every day. And in a lot of ways it is. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I was going to sit here and say that, you know, we as just observers of the game are really the hype machine that's underscoring little things way more than maybe they need to be underscored. And if I was being realistic and I'm Perry Manazian, like I really don't believe that he feels like he has this 10,000 pound burden sitting on his shoulders of trying to wring every ounce of competitiveness and every you know, every single win out of every single day. Like, I feel like that is no way to live. So I kind of don't feel like he's probably living and dying with every pitch and every move and every game, even if we think he should. Um, but but you're around him more. You're around him more. I, I do think that they that they do. I really do. Uh, I think they do live in. And that might just be the way he would be in a season with totally different, you know, and or I don't know. But, you know, it's it's. Listen, I think it's tough to be a GM. I mean, you know, it's, you, you know, the way that people view you is on a day-to-day basis. It's, it, it's mm-hmm. the way your boss might view you is on a day-to-day basis. The way you view yourself, the way you view the, the team, it's, it, it, everything is, is very, very high, high stakes every day. And, and, you know, from my perspective in the press, but it's right. We're easy, it's easy for us to get on here and talk about this stuff. You know, it's not, uh, we're not on the line, right? This podcast isn't going to be canceled if they win or lose. Um, I don't think it'd be canceled anyway. We're we're just gonna keep doing this until we feel like stopping. <laughs> but I mean, it's that's I think that's the idea. It's like, yeah, I think I think they do go through that, and and I think they should. You know, I'm not saying they should. You know, you know, be going through horrible emotional turmoil for every pitch and every game. But I think that this should matter to you. This should really this should be important. Um, and uh, you know, I don't agree with everything they say and everything they do and every uh you know, decision that's made, but I also, I get where everything's coming from. I think every fan does to some extent. And in a lot of ways, I think fans appreciate Perry. I think if you were to take it at just a poll of, you know, kind of Perry's approval rating, I think it'd be very high because they, you know, he's doing the work of the fans in a lot of ways of just like willing them any way possible to get to the playoffs. Now, um, you know, it'll start- strike you as the kind of organization that would do polling to get an approval rating. You know, we do a fan poll every year. So his approval rating was pretty high, actually. When, when you know, at that time before the season, it wasn't necessarily super high. Well, it was extremely low for 
for Artie Moreno. And it was, you know, not incredibly high at the time for, for Phil Nevin, but it was still pretty mm-hmm. high for Perry. And I thought that was interesting just because, you know, I think that people view the work he's doing as, as very proactive and very much aligned with a desire to win. And not only a desire to win, but actually kind of doing the things that might get them there. How uh, would you guess Nevin's approval rating has ebbed over the course of the season? Man, I think there's nobody who's got a different, more of a bipolar approval rating than on a day-to-day basis than Phil Nevin. I think if you were to ask fans after last night, it'd probably be like 65 to 70%. I think after today, when, like we mentioned, you know, not pinching Mustakas and instead going with Luis Renjifo, it'd probably be like 30%. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's so up and down because of the, uh, just because of the, what well, well, one decision here or there and, you know, I think you could justify you could justify using Renifo there. It's it's not what I didn't really understand it that much, but I think that it's not like a egregious decision by any means. And I think he makes the right decisions on a pretty regular basis too. So it's and I think the players like him. So there's just different there's different things you kind of have to measure a manager on. Um, right. And he doesn't seem incompetent in any capacity when it comes to managing in game. In my opinion, um, now I'm sure fans would disagree with me on that, um, but it's 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 you know. I think I feel like what you're outlining is the truth for any manager. I mean, they make so many decisions in every single game and inevitably some of the decisions are not going to be the right ones. They're not going to pan out. I see some bad manager. I see some people that make some, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to get into like the teams that I watch too much, but there was there the Mets made some pretty awful decisions today. (laughs) You know, so it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't always understand certain managers, but, um, you know, I don't think I don't think Phil's making terrible decisions. I, you know, like I said, I didn't really understand the one today, but that's, you know, maybe that cost them a game. Maybe it didn't. It's tough. It's impossible to know. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that's the uh, that's, I think that's kind of the uh, situation with this team. It's just it's it's right. frenetic. All right, where do you think if I'm Perry looking at the roster and I've added a couple infielders to the mix, where is he looking next? Um, chart and you know what could be improved that's a good question i mean i you know they've been really successful so far with matt dice and chad wallach that being and i think that there's some hope that logan ohapi could return this year so maybe catcher wouldn't be you know where you'd look um but i could see that being an area i mean a starting pitcher would probably be the first and most obvious choice uh, yeah. there's, you know, I think they're seeing some improvement on from some of the guys that maybe were struggling. Like Patrick Sandoval showed some improvement. Reed Demers is probably the most improved over the last month. Tyler Anderson is, you know, I think he's been a little better. It's just, uh, it's not been a good year for him. I don't think there's any other way to really say that. Um, but you know, I remember it's he also is, tough right now in this environment, given the state of the standings, where so many teams are kind of in this weird middle ground. There's very few like definite sellers. Um, and that puts a team like the Angels in, you know, a tough spot where even if there are way or places they want to add very clearly to the roster, uh, it takes two to tango. And yeah. if there's not a match out there, then they might have to, you know, right the ship with who they have. Yeah, I mean, I don't there's not like any like massive holes. I mean, I think the start one at least one starting pitcher, you know, their bullpen's really kind of uh been solidified over the last couple weeks and month really but uh I, there's you know there's some they, those guys are so young i think you're gonna you're gonna want to established you know maybe a guy that can come in as a setup guy uh, matt moore should be coming back maybe in the next week so that 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 could be him in that sense but you know even just getting another player um that that comes in and, and kind of has that role uh there's there's going to be options there's going to be relievers out there i bet you that's where they're going to go kind of a solidified reliever 
maybe a starting pitcher. Um, and they might do, I mean, Perry can be a little bit wild. Like nobody saw Brandon Marsh for Logan Ohapi. I mean, you might see something like you could, I, I wouldn't, I would, there, nothing would shock me. Like if they were to trade somebody who's been called up already and doing well, like out of that bullpen, maybe for a catcher or a, uh, uh, you know, infielder or whatever it might be, that's possible. You know, they, they might just, they might just go one for one flip again. Like there could be any number of decisions that are made. I, I, but I agree with you. It's tough when there's not as many teams that are out of the race. Uh, and we've talked about it on this podcast, just how many teams are kind of having surprising seasons. And I think you're going to be hard pressed to see teams that are maybe um, believe they should be good or like the Cardinals, like are the Cardinals really going to sell or are they going to believe that, Hey, the Reds are going to regress at some point. We should be able to come on and do well. Are the Mets a team that should have been doing better? Are they going to really, are really going to be sellers? Like, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see play out. As well. It's a good point. When you find teams in drastically different places than they expected, it almost takes them longer than you would think to come to grips with their reality. Like, are the Cardinals and Mets, yeah, like you said, are they really going to be sellers? Yeah. Maybe. And if they are, they're probably not going to decide until the 11th hour. Yeah, 100%. So that's a, it's kind of a, it's, it's going to be really, I mean, I'm just looking forward to these next, uh, this next month, really, because it's just going to be fun, you know? It's gonna be fun just to see how it all plays out. Um, I I have no idea what will happen. I feel like that's the way I go into every single day covering this team. No idea what's gonna happen, and I know it's gonna be interesting. I know they're gonna like. Listen, I've been in Salt Lake City the last three days. Just you know, I can, and we'll get into some of the stuff that's happened out here that I've kind of, you know, what I've learned, kind of talking to some guys out here in a moment. But man, you you miss three days. What could happen? They traded <laughs> for two players. They beat a team by twenty four runs. I was not even watching the game or paying attention. I saw they were up seven nothing yesterday. I was out getting dinner. Uh, I just didn't. I was like, you know what? They're fine. They're gonna win this game. It's more. It's one of the few non crazy games. Then somebody says to me, who I'm out with for dinner, says, you know, you know the Angels are twenty three nothing in the fourth inning. <laughs> I literally was like, no way. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Stop it. Literally. I looked at my phone screen. I was at dinner with friends and I looked at my phone screen and I had two notifications. One from ESPN with like the oh my God emoji saying Angels up more than 20 in the fourth. And then an unread text from Sam Blum. And I somehow just knew those two were completely intertwined. Yep. Yep. There we go. That's uh that's 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 life covering Halo ball. That's what I'm and I'm gonna I'm going to um, I'm actually going to Rocket City in Alabama tomorrow, so I'll miss the first two games of this upcoming series against the White Sox, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm sure that'll be interesting. I'm sure, you're gonna miss the Otani. You're gonna miss the Otani puzzle giveaway, Sam. Oh well, that's upsetting. <laughs> I'm gonna miss Otani versus Kopech, so that's a good matchup. Um, but oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. The White uh, White Sox, another team that were kind of you know, might, might have a hard time coming to terms with their, their seller status. If that's what it ends up coming down to They're I think personally, they should feel a little more comfortable with their seller status. Um, but that's again, just my opinion. I think any team in that division is probably thinking to themselves, well, this is really real. Though. We're bad. We're really bad. Like maybe we don't, maybe we don't need to be good. <laughs> maybe we should. <laughs> that's maybe we don't need to be good to make the playoffs. Uh, what a thought. But also, if I'm the Angels, I just lost a series at Coors Field. Coors Field is weird. I get it. Just, you know, sweep it under the rug. But if I've got four games at home against a struggling White Sox team, before the schedule gets a little harder, like you alluded to, where you're playing the first place Diamondbacks, you're playing the Padres, 
were star-studded despite their, you know, floundering status under 500. Fourth of July, that's going to be a tough environment. You know, it's uh, right. And then they play the Dodgers again before the All-Star break. Dodgers, they got they got a lot of tough. I mean, it's a really tough month. Uh, and then they got like a whole week on the road leading into the All-Star into the uh, trade deadline. And so, I mean, you know, things can happen in that week that can really determine good or bad where they are. So it's uh, it's this nothing's gonna nothing is gonna be easy here. Um, are you going to be on hug watch? What if Otani just starts giving his teammates hugs during the game? Uh, he might. He should just do that as a bit, because you know, as, as anyone who knows me or knows Connor well, we live, we're all about bits. So Tom Otani just just start hugging people all randomly at different times over the next month, just to, just to just to just to have some fun. <laughs> oh, it's going to be five alarm fire in the press box if Otani starts giving out hugs in the dugout. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> We're going to be like, all right, just a little preview of the trade deadline. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a long month. I think the Angels are probably not going to trade him. I think they're going to stay, stay at least in the race. But, you know, I don't know if that means they're going to be a playoff team or not. I, I feel differently about that. I feel so. And as anyone who's listened to this knows, I feel differently about answering that question pretty much every freaking day. So um, before I go, I wanted to mention, uh, talk about this little, you know, obviously back and forth with uh, David Fletcher. He's now back with the Angels. Came back yesterday. Had a home run at Coors Field, though. Obviously, uh, you know, kind of right, right over the wall in left field. That's still a, counts as a home run, though. David Fletcher special, uh, five RBIs, uh, and I think. Listen, I talked to him here on Friday in, in Salt Lake City. Normally, anybody that that talks to David Fletcher or has heard his interviews or kind of knows him, he's an enigma. He's an interesting guy, um, and and normally he's pretty brief. He's just pretty brief, um, and he does not say much. And that's kind of how this interview started. I never really talked to David Fletcher on a one on in a one on one interview for more than like three or four minutes as like a record. And, you know, we talked for about 12 or 13 minutes, I think on Friday. And I just asked him about, you know, his thoughts on not being called up. The angels had not called him up at that point. They had called up three other infielders. They had, um, you know, a contract for him that they're paying $20 million over the next three years. There, there were some other factors at play here. Maybe why that wasn't the case. He had been injured briefly a week, couple weeks before that. And he had missed some time being on the bereavement list and he could come back only the week prior to my interview with him. So there, there was maybe some factors kind of at play there, but um, I think he was a little perturbed uh, probably at the whole situation, getting sent down to begin with. Um, and then also maybe not getting called up and maybe the way that they communicated with him or he, in his, in his uh, estimation, they hadn't communicated as much with him. And so um, it was interesting to kind of hear him talk about that, wrote the whole story. I thought, you know, this was interesting uh, revelatory look you look you got a little bit more about David Fletcher's personality and maybe the way he viewed the situation an hour later after the story posts he gets called up and uh, I wouldn't say the story is irrelevant but I do think it's interesting and you know I think he's uh, I think he's uh, you know got a good opportunity now to to stay with that team and he played pretty well his first couple games are the angels making roster moves because of your stories is that is that the point of this yeah i've seen i read the comments on the story i always read you guys comments so i appreciate you know people that leave nice comments and people that leave mean comments and i always kind of digest them differently and you know but yeah i did see i did see people have different perspectives on it some people were like well this story got really irrelevant very quickly which kind of fair and then and then there, some of the people were like well sam willed it into existence and i think the thing that people don't always know about this like the angels knew that this story was coming because I did my due diligence in reaching out to them to and to let them know that it was coming and to see if they had anything they wanted to add. And they did not, they did not want to add anything. Um, and then the next thing I know, he's uh, one hour after that story posts, it leaks to, uh, to um, uh, Robert, Robert Murray, Robert Murray that he's gotten called up. So I don't know if I'm having an influence. I don't know if they're literally just like, 
try to avoid bad press. I don't know if they thought he was the right best guy. I have no idea of that thinking behind it. Uh, I I don't wouldn't want to speculate. I think that he deserved the call up. I told I told David that I was that I was surprised they didn't call you up. I think you deserve to get called up. Um, and I do I do I think you know I don't know if that he'll be great. I don't know if I'll be terrible, but uh, he certainly deserved that shot based on how he's playing in AAA, based on his contract, and based on just uh, you know general history playing Major League Baseball at a fairly high level for you know a good amount of time. So you weren't struck by athletic reader. Go Perry 2002 commenting on your story saying good idea. Is that a thing? I didn't. Uh, okay. Go Perry 2002. <laughs> this is like the three things Connor knows about the angels. <laughs> I'm sure Perry has an athletic account and would he actually put his name as his username? That would be pretty terrific. Probably not. Perry ammo. That would stand out. <laughs> you know, I did once actually when I covered the Giants for a summer, I was able I gained a new Twitter follower who had nothing on their profile but seemed to follow only Bay Area and specifically Giants media personnel on Twitter and it just so happened that it was like the Twitter handle was three letters and a bunch of numbers and I'm pretty sure, well, no, I remember the three letters just so happened to be the initials of the GM at that time, Bobby Evans. It was never confirmed that that was his Twitter account, but if there was ever a burner account for a baseball executive to have, that kind of seemed like the breadcrumbs were dropped there. Were they tweeting great things about Bobby Evans being like, Bobby Evans, another great game today, Bobby, you're killing it. <laughs> Look at this team. Yeah. Yeah, well, that 2016 Giants team was really good until they became really bad. But they were so good in the first half that they withstood a horrible second half, and they beat the Mets in the wildcard game that year, as you may recall. I'm I'm almost certain that Angels front office has uh, burner accounts that they follow us on, so it's fine. You know, it's uh, I think that's part of it. I'm sure that they're all. I, I mean, listen, I think you got to be aware of what's being said about you, so I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, Maybe it was Athletic Reader Artie the Angel who commented. Artie the Angel who said who who always likes to defend the moves of the front office and ownership. Um, but Last uh, thing, what, what were your observations about being in Salt Lake and just watching some AAA baseball? Uh, you know, I think that they have a, they kind of have a, a loaded AAA lineup. I mean, Joe Adele's, you know, you got Joe That's Adele. what every fan wants to hear, that the AAA lineup I'm is loaded. That they've got like a lot of major league players on it, but they got a lot of good AAA players on there. Like, I, we'll see. I mean, I'm in the process of writing a story now about Daniel Murphy because we talked to him. I talked to him for a while and, you know, I think he's really interesting in his story and Kim coming back at age 38, try to try to get back in the big leagues one last time. And me and they got Joe Adele. I mean, they've got, they got an interesting roster up there and they got Jake Lamb today. We watched the game today, man. He was hitting well. Um, who else? Jack Lopez having a good, uh, good run here for the, uh, for the bees. Uh, again, I don't know if any of these guys are going to get called up. No idea, but. They got some players that are playing well. Building a memorable season out in Salt Lake, and that's that's all that matters is that they can make memories and route to a triple playoff run. You know, as you always say, it's it's the it's the long road to five hundred. And the Salt Lake Bees are thirty seven and thirty seven to finish the first half of the season today. And listen, you'll take it. (laughs) If you told me every Angels affiliate finished exactly five hundred, I would not bat an eye. That is an organizational philosophy that runs deep. They actually went like five years without having a single team finish with above a five above five hundred record. So I think they would uh, they'd probably sign up for five hundred every year, every team. <laughs> but um, 
that'll do it today. We're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up now. I appreciate everybody tuning in, listening through this this uh, this pod, and you know, sorry we got drambled at times, but you know that's kind of the uh, beauty of live, unedited, unscripted Halo analysis. And uh, we'll come back here uh, soon. I'm not sure when. You know, Connor's getting married in less than two weeks. So everybody, if you get a chance to uh, one, uh, there's two three things you got to do. You got to subscribe. You got to leave an, a comment, hopefully a nice one. And then if you have an opportunity at the very end to go on Twitter and at Connor, wishing him a happy wedding. Is that what people do? I don't know. Just congratulate him. Please do that. It's, it's Twitter. You can say whatever you want. Twitter, do whatever you got to do. We're all really excited for him. So if you want to drill us further on all of the you knows that we dropped today, if anyone wants to keep track of account or something, I'd be curious to know. If you kept track of account this time, then do it the next time. And so that way we can see if we're doing better or worse. You know, right. we, need, we need a stats and info department of calling all halos. And it could be you out there. Loyal listener. <laughs> well, I hope so. Hopefully somebody takes that upon themselves. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back. We'll be back soon. Take care.